So I have a question for you. Um, Go ahead. Have you, ever, have you ever played the game Fuck Mary Kill? Um, no, but I've I've seen it like talked about many times on social media. So if you're gonna play Fuck Mary Kill with the Muppets, what would which, what would you pick and why? Why you gotta, is it gotta, you gotta be gotta the fucking it. Muppets? Why does why it gotta would, be the Muppets? Why wouldn't you fuck the fuck a Muppet? That's my question. <laughs> what kind of prude are you, church boy? That's it, it's not a question of prudishness. It's a question of logistics. <laughs> Assuming logistics, because uh, you know, work. you know the question. The question is: the question is not would you fuck a muppet. It's would you fuck the person portraying that muppet while they were wearing the muppet like thing on their body or on their hand or whatever. No, no. The question is: out of the muppets, assuming you could have sex with the muppet, which one would you fuck? Which one would you marry? And which one would you kill? I have no idea. I have an answer. I don't want. I don't watch enough Muppets. I have an answer for that. Go ahead. Obviously, you kill Kermit, right? <laughs> Kermit the Frog is okay. the first one you kill, and because at first glance you think, "Oh, Kermit's the one you marry." Kermit's not the one you marry. Kermit, the plot of like half of the Muppets franchise is, "Oh, Kermit messed up the accounting books again." And now we have to have a GoFundMe to save the theater. Otherwise, we're all going to be impoverished, right? Yeah. Uh, Kermit is, yeah, no, you, you, you kill Kermit and then you smile while you do it. Um, you bang Miss Piggy because that's not the one you marry. But like if you're single and you hook up with Piggy, that's a fun four day weekend. You marry Gonzo. <laughs> Okay. Now here's why. It's not just because of the long nose, although that leads to more interesting bedroom activities, we'll say. I'm just along for the ride on this. I want you to know that. <laughs> because throughout most of the Muppets franchise, Gonzo pretty consistently employed. He usually has a job, right? Gonzo is the most stable out of all of them. He's working at Home Depot, he's a janitor. <laughs> At like a hospital and another one. So you had a fun trip in New York City, sir. Yeah. How was that? That was good, except for the way that I apparently pulled a muscle in my chest and I'm now in terrible pain almost all the time. <laughs> well, so what aside from that, I, aside from that, it was really, really great. Why'd you go to New York City? Well, a buddy of mine. Um, needed help moving from Indianapolis to Manhattan. He's living in, in Harlem now. And uh, yeah, I helped drive the tra Ford Transit van that had all of his like necessary belongings and his two cats. We took turns driving and we stopped at a hotel in, uh, I want to say like Eastern Pennsylvania, like just before we got, just, just before you get to the real mountains, like the real Appalachian mountains. Um, yep. And then we, st we stayed we stayed there so that we could have some rest before we finished the trip on the next day. And we got there on Sunday when it was pouring rain. We got rained on the whole time we were unloading the van, which sucked. Um, and then I had to spend a couple of days in New York, uh, staying at this, staying in my buddy's apartment and um, helping him settle in and just sort of exploring the city. And it was really cool because I'd never been to New York 
And I got to say, um, you know about this because you've been there. It really is um, like a walkable city and like a public transport friendly city. Like oh, yeah. you, there's, there's basically anything you want to do, you can do in Manhattan. You don't even have to go to any of the other boroughs. You can just stay in Manhattan and you can get all the way all over Manhattan. With nothing more than just your two feet, maybe like a rented bike and a Metro card. And that's all yeah. you need. For me, it was like, like go ahead. No, I was, I was going to say on the, on Thursday of last week, which is really my big, big adventure day, I walked to the subway station at 135th and St. Nicholas, and then I rode that all the way down to like 81st Street and got off at the Museum of Natural History, and I went into the museum, I, I got into the museum and saw a planetarium show and sort of, you know, bummed around the museum a little bit, and then I left the museum and walked to a place where I got... Um, shawarma heroes and then i went and i had you know shawarma heroes and fries and baklava and then i walked from there to a bookstore in the uh upper west side and just bought a couple of books and then i walked back to the subway station and went home that's a real new york day sir yeah i'm, I'm so, so fucking cool you did that like how was how was driving in manhattan it was not as bad as you might think. Um, and, you know, that, that is to say it's not fun, but it's not the worst thing I've ever done. Because you know? I got to say, aside from being stuck in traffic, trying to get across the George Washington Bridge, the traffic is really not bad the Sunday that we came into Manhattan. Um, and the sort of the saving grace of the whole like trip out there was that the van handled really well. So... Um, like driving the van through Manhattan and through like the mountains and we were coming through Pennsylvania and New Jersey and all of that and then um, driving it through Manhattan while we were unloading it and then like also returning it the next day uh, didn't go too badly at all you know there was there was a couple of points where it's like ooh this is a little bit close but you know nothing nothing bad happened so I can't really complain yeah I mean New York's it was you know like I remember when we went there, and everyone's like, "Oh my God, you go to New York? That's a dangerous big city." Yeah, and everybody was really nice, and you know, they just left you alone. So yeah, I think the thing about New York that really surprised me, especially again, that being someone who was raised in the Midwest, where everyone sees like the big city, like the pit, like the, the root of all evil, um, yeah. especially a big city like New York. I didn't really feel unsafe once. Whether I was on the subway, whether I was walking 30 blocks through Harlem, I never really felt unsafe. You know, uh, there's parts of New York I'm sure you could go to where you would want to like be careful, or parts you would want to avoid even. But there's mm -hmm. like that in any big city. You know, it's like that in any really in any city, no matter how big or small. And you know, there's probably more parts of Indianapolis that I would want to avoid than there are parts of like Manhattan because people in Manhattan are just used to living in a city together. People in Indianapolis. Even like the urban parts of Indianapolis, like the east, like the east side that everyone sort of tells horror stories about, it's not really an urban environment. It's like suburban inside 465. You yeah. know, it's like suburban, but with like urban decay. And yeah. you know, in Manhattan, people are actually living like in block apartments and in townhouses and all that stuff. They're living in close proximity and they understand what it means to live in close proximity. And I think my buddy who, like the, the person I helped move out there actually hit the nail on the head. The thing about Manhattan, especially, but you know, really New York in general, that makes everyone sort of get along, even though they can be rough around the edges sometimes, is class solidarity. 
You know, yeah. people just want to sort of they understand. Oh well, you know, I'm just I'm just gonna mind my own business. You mind your own business. We'll go where we need to go. We'll ride the subway. We'll work. You know, we'll we'll you know we'll buy food from each other's restaurants and just live our lives. And really, the thing that surprised me even more than like the, the safety, not feeling un, you know, unsafe or anything, is that New Yorkers are actually a lot friendlier than I think Midwesterners give them credit for. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm about laughing at you. So she's so okay. So for the purpose of the recording, I went to go get ice cream. The deal I made with my wife was that we'd split it. She had her half, and then I was gonna have my half. And then she's been like texting me about getting <laughs> eating my half. And then like I had her the empty cup, and she's like thought she'd get more ice cream. I ate it all, so she's surprised that I ate the ice cream that I went to go get. No. Now that you, you're like, oh, we're gonna split it, but I only want a little bit. And you're like, no. Oh. I just got half. <laughs> Carry on. Okay. <laughs> anyway, sorry. You're fine. Marriage is fun. Yeah. Anyway, um, you didn't make the by chance make the 9/11 memorial, did you? Uh, no, I did not. I didn't go that far south. The farthest south I ever went was like 34th Street, and that was when I got off. Penn Station and then like walked under um, Madison Square Garden to um, the train station to get on the train to Newark. Yeah. Um, it's, well, first of all, how cool is the subway? I love the subway. I think, and I told, I told my buddy before I, like the day that I left, you know, I'm probably going to end up living here at some point. Um, I can that see, is in New I York. Can see you doing that. Yeah. I don't know when it will be. I don't know if it'll be, it'd probably be, it'd probably have to be like when I can, you know, afford to live there and maybe like have a little more you know a little more um mileage under my feet to like be able to stomach living in a small little apartment that costs so much money but it really i think i think like i'm like i have the right mindset for the city and i think it you know it's, it kind of calls to me I, I like i liked it while i was there that's great to hear i'm i'm so glad and and i remember when i saw it when i visited there it well, first of all, having been a, a Midwest kid my whole life, I go there and I felt like I had like, you know, Rip Van Winkle my way into the future. Yeah. I, it. <laughs> I was just Opie off the turnip truck, man. Just like, oh my God, there's just, the buildings are so tall. And, you know, like when you ride around the subway, you felt like you're in some futuristic city or something. It was, it was incredible. Um, I could see you being a New Yorker. That makes a lot of sense for you. Um, you might not have this reaction. I know when I went to the 9-11 Memorial, uh, I had myself a good cry the whole time. And yeah. it, was, it was me and a bunch of other dudes in their 30s and 40s just trying not to cry and failing miserably. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with a manly cry. Especially at the 9-11 Memorial. It was such yeah. a, weird, a weird thing because like, I'm walking through there and I'm like, oh, Oh, this is a tomb. This is a mausoleum. Like this is the ground, and there's like there's like you know like wreckage and rubble and stuff, and yeah. and and there's like a wall. There is a fucking wall of the dead that just stretches out into forever, right? With faces, names. Some of the faces kind of move and smile. There's like little videos and shit, and so I'm just sitting there, just trying to grapple with the the impact that that one day had and how it set my whole life in motion another way and then you've got like 
13-year-old kids taking selfies in front of, like, the wreckage of, like, you know, Tower One and shit. Yeah. And I'm like, it's such a... It, and I get it, because they might as well be at Gettysburg, right? <laughs> like... Amazing it was, how quick, it's amazing how quick time just erases people's memories of things, you know? It's like people talk about, and I know this is kind of a weird digression, so bear with me. But it's I'll, like people I'll ride talk with about it. how... You me on the fuck, Mary killed the Muppets, so I'll ride with you on this. Hey, I guess that, I guess that's true, so thank you. Um, but, you know, it's like people talk about how as the generation lived through World War II dies off, the notion of, like, lessons learned through the course of World War II, die with them. people actually, like people in Japan especially talk about this, like people who lived through World War II and the atomic bombings and all the lessons to be learned from, you know, surviving World War II and like, you know, what the Japanese empire, what the, like the, the cost of the Japanese empire's imperialism was for the Japanese people. As they die off, they're not like the knowledge they have to pass on to new generations dies with them. And it's like, there's actually like a philosophical debate in Japan regarding like, you know, how do we actually deal with this where now people have no source to go to to discuss, hey, this is what we learned from this. This is why we shouldn't do these things. And it's funny, it's almost, it's, you know, you see like a direct correlation with the death of that generation and like the return of militarism to Japan. Where you know, and obviously, like the rise of China influences that in a big way too. But you see things like, oh well, you know, Japan's starting to rearm. They're starting to like build up a more aggressive military as opposed to a solely defensive military, which has been their mo for the last seventy years. Um, so it's, just, it's interesting how that sort of thing happens. Like you said, that's that's really a good way to describe it for kids who are you know teenagers now. Nine eleven may as well be like World War Two. It's just something you read about in a, in a textbook, even though it may, may have only happened a couple years before they were born. They have no memory of it. Now, I remember yeah. the day of 9-11 like it, was, like, like, like it was yesterday, because even though I was only like seven years old, I remember how it affected the adults in my life. You probably yeah. remembered even better because you would have been like, what, 13 or 14? Yeah, you would have been 14. Yeah, you, 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 you were born, what, 87? I was born in 87. Yeah, you were born in May of 87, so you would have been 14. You were in high school. When that happened, yeah, that was that was, yeah, I was either in eighth grade or ninth grade. I want to say ninth grade. Yeah, ninth grade down. You probably would have been in ninth. If you were if you were born in May of '87, you probably would have gone into ninth grade that year. My guess would be. You're right. Yeah, yeah, I would have been in ninth grade, and. Yeah, not 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 to like put word, not to put numbers in your mouth, but it's like hey man, numbers I, are something that I've obsessed was, over. So I used to be, uh, I I used to uh, uh, be an enthusiastic uh, uh, participant in recreational marijuana in high school. So you know, when I say eighth or ninth grade, it's because I'm not, you know, it, it could be either one. Yeah. <laughs> After a while, they all kind of blur together. It's kind of like my, it's kind of how my dad talks about the '80s. He talks about the '80s like they happened, but he doesn't really remember them because he killed a lot of brain cells drinking. <laughs> yeah, basically. No, and until you know, since I was a career soldier for so long, like mm-hmm. 9/11 shapes an entire generation of troops. It, it and it. It impacted my life entirely up to this day. You know, it, it's such a. I remember walking around the memorial and thinking, "Oh, this was the first of a hundred thousand battlefields in the war on terror." You know, yeah. and you know, these were the first casualties, and and I felt this kinship with them. And 
I saw the firefighter. Oh fuck, I'm getting teary-eyed again. I saw the EMS got EMTs and firefighters, and I thought, oh, well, they're just dudes. Like, they were just guys that were on the job that day, and you know, they ran inside a building they shouldn't have. The building collapsed on, and like, you know, thinking, oh, well, that so easily could have been me. Right. Not, you know, me in 2001, but you get it, right? Like, there's no, when I was on the job, there's no reason that couldn't have been me. And, yeah. You know, you go through life and you think, you know, I'm not, I'm not really smarter or braver than anybody. I'm just really lucky. And, and sometimes if you're lucky and you're a little bit, you know, and you're kind, you know, your life turns mm-hmm. out okay. Not to, you know, quote Doctor Who too much, but. Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? Read? What's happening? Am I dead? I bet you like zombie books. I like food. Do you have food? You don't need food at dividedbyzerobooks.com. It's full of nutrient-rich science fiction. Ugh, I'm stuck in an ad, aren't I? Once I stop talking... Reality will collapse until someone plays the sad again. This isn't the first time we've had this discussion, and it won't be the last. Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? That was a fun Comic-Con we went to, sir. Yeah. I hadn't been to one of those since before the pandemic. That was pretty cool. Not not, not the Indiana Comic-Con, anyway. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Divided by Zero Books was supposed to set up there in April 2020, but, you know, then that funny little thing happened, and the world yeah, shut down. Funny thing, funny thing was going on right right in the middle of April 2020. Yeah, yeah I was so freaked the fuck out. I was, like, drinking beer and taking Benadryl to go to sleep. I thought it was, around April 2020, I'm like, oh, this is the stand. Oh, cool. <laughs> Yeah, I, I told I told you that I watched uh, Outbreak like the first month, like the second month of the pandemic, right? With my dad. Always a good apparently, choice. Apparently, my friends in New York who are like the big horror, big horror aficionados, they watched yeah. The Stand like the first month of the pandemic. It's you know, uh, uh, yeah, I, I they came out with a new a new uh, mini stand the Stand miniseries in 2020, and I'm like, I think I'm good. Like, I just kind of want to watch, like, Spongebob Squarepants. Like, guys, you should hold this for a couple years. What are you doing? Oh, man. No, so, um, what did you think of my uh, stand-up set, sir? Because I... Oh, I, man, that was so good. I loved it. Thanks. It so I, I, for the listener, I just completed a seven-week stand-up boot camp for veterans. But, so you liked it, though? You had a good time? Oh, Yeah. Good stuff. It was, really, it was really nice seeing how everybody, like all the individual peoples put their own unique spin on it. Um, I made it their own. I was really, I really liked how you made yours your own. Like you, I think, like you, we talked about this the night of. Uh, you know, you, you you put a lot of nerdy stuff in it, and I had references to Star Trek and Super Mario Brothers, and it was just sort of a journey. And that you know, um, the best the best comedy the best comedy 
set our journeys i think you know, they're not just they're like they sort of take us like on down a stream of consciousness of like all the thoughts that make the comic laugh because then the audience gets to laugh with them you know it's basically bringing you know the best comedy that i've ever seen in general brings the audience into the comics world and then makes the comic like just, a, just another friend you know because, yeah you know obviously i'm not trying to um how do I say this without sounding like a jackass? Without how to say this without like totally downplaying the six weeks of, tra- of like training and like you know boot camp you did to to get ready for that stand up set. But in general, a lot of people probably have the basic tools to do stand up. Obviously, they need to be refined and honed and you know made better. But a lot of people have the basic tools to do stand up because it's basically just telling stories. You're basically, just it's basically the sort of telling stories you do when you're like hanging out with a group of your close friends and you're just trying to make them laugh and get like get like clout with your best friend you know you're basically trying to take that vibe and cast it and and like widen the nets instead of like four or five of your best friends it's like 40 or 50 or 400 or 500 people i i think there is probably about 50 people in the audience that night would be pretty cool Mm -hmm. um yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I talked to one person, and they're like, "Your set's kind of like really niche and specific." And are you sure you might want to broaden? I'm like, no, I want to make it more niche and more specific. <laughs> like, I want to do 45 minutes on Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan, the audio commentary. <laughs> I mean, some people do broad really well, do like broad topics really well. Some people do niche topics really well. Some people do a mix of both. Some people do neither. Um, so you just gotta know, you just gotta know where you play with, where you play best. You know, if you if you find your strength, lean into it. That's the best advice I think you can give anybody who does anything creative. You know, yeah. if you're if you're an artist who does, you know, you. I know it's kind of a weird analogy. So again, bear with me. Um, no, I'm, 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 I bore with you on that fucking puppet thing, so you're bearing with me on this. If you're, <laughs> if you're an artist who does like furry, like erotica, really well, that's probably what you're going to end up leaning into because it's probably what pays. <laughs> so if you're a comic who does like niche comedy about Star Trek and old Nintendo video games, and um, you know, like music, like the like the, the like the fandom of um, Kiss and all that sort of stuff, whatever lean into it because if, when you it's when you lean into that niche that you find the people who are also attracted to that niche and they will follow you wherever you go That's you may lose some of the broad audience but you know the thing about comedies you don't need to you know some people feel like they need to please you know tens of millions of people you know some people can fill stadiums you know gabriel iglesias fill the stadium Oh, yeah. um, that's he tells that's because he tells jokes that appeal to wide audiences, but you don't need to do that to be successful. It's, it's like the difference between a, between a big tentpole movie and a successful TV show. A big tentpole movie has to sell hundreds of millions of tickets in order to recoup its costs and make a profit because of how much money they spend making these movies nowadays. Whereas a movie, whereas a TV show, especially a run-of-the-mill TV show that doesn't have lots of parlor tricks or bells and whistles. You know, you can have maybe a million audience members on average, and you're still doing pretty, pretty gang, pretty much gangbusters. I know? mean, for today's audience, a million's pretty. Oh yeah, pretty oh yeah, especially with streaming going on. It's like you know, they talk about how 
Um, this is the thing I was reading. This is obviously sort of delving in, into another topic, but you know, the, with the whole writer strike going on, people in like the like the TV screenwriting community have been writing shows they don't expect to get picked up past season one for like two years now. You know, so you know, basically, you're just trying to do what you can and lean into your strengths. So whenever you when you find your strength, which I think you've already found lean into that because then the people who are attracted to those strengths who want to see more of what you are providing will follow you to the ends of the earth you know the rest of them be damned you know find find your audience and play to it that's that's what i want in a room full of 20 people if three of them think oh my god it's just the weirdest most like like i could i want to do like like a whole hour on just like super mario and captain kirk like i could i think i could do it and have it be like so intricate and dense and multi-layered with like callbacks on top of like call forwards and just this weird bizarre like <laughs> like does not appeal to a broad audience whatsoever but i've always been the guy i mean you've known me for a long time now like i've always been an indie guy you know the thin line of life that was my best-selling book back in the day. Maybe, maybe a few thousand copies. Maybe. Yeah, we might have broken a thousand copies if you count the audiobook sales, which I do. But, yeah, you know. But still, that's a thousand copies we did on our own. Mm-hmm. You know, and we also had day jobs. So, you know, um, hopefully Shadowplay breaks that record we can transition there yeah um that's actually I, I was working on a map and started to get back to this I, I still feel bad about working on some or two things at once I was working on a map of Europa for the yeah. Europa goodbye because I wanted to make a blog post about that I said like say hey this is something we've got in the works keep your eyes, yeah. keep your eyes peeled you're, you're good sir I'm all about multitasking but like for the podcast itself for like yeah, a lot of I it's like you. people are listening to our conversation and i'm a self-centered attention whore and so if all the attention I'm, I'm in the wrong here you're right there's no wrong there's no wrong if all the attention is not on the money maker which is this guy then you know what are we even doing here nick come on but <laughs> um no, so I I did chapter five. You probably got the notifications. I did chapter yeah. five of Europa. Uh, I figured out how to edit on my phone, which <laughs> I think is gonna like speed up my editing process, my rewrite process, because before it's like, well, you gotta you gotta unfold the laptop, but then you gotta like hit the on button, and then you gotta like. Oh my God! The- what what toil? Go to Google Docs. Are I people know. being forced at gunpoint to dig diamonds out of the dirt and like Gabon or whatever? And you're and you're worried about <laughs> unfolding a laptop and pressing a button. Listen, listen to this. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't know. Like, just I'm just saying. I have I have a supercomputer in my pocket all the time. And I'm like, oh, well, this thing is on me all the time. If I can figure out how to do this while I'm waiting for, like, my coffee to finish brewing, you know, <laughs> like, I can pull it out, do a couple lines, you know, uh, of the edit, not of cocaine. And 
I told you about that, didn't I? Not that I did cocaine. Like there was a thing I saw on Reddit and it was like a picture of like a ceramic bowl, like a flat bottom ceramic bowl that had a label. It was being sold at a yard sale and had a label on it that said, hey, or what was it? It said uh, um, Mick Jagger did cocaine off of this in, in the 1960s. And the caption on the picture said, to be fair, that was any stationary surface back then. <laughs> basically um how it i i yeah i think i finished chapter five of europa mm -hmm. and god this is gonna be a fun episode to edit together i was i was uh shadow play coming so um it's coming um it's I, I i i've been looking at it it's just been it's been, it's been kind of hard getting back into the swing of doing like like writerly things that aren't work related since I got back from New York because God. I did almost nothing like creative while I was in New York. Like probably the most I did was like to kill some time while I was waiting between meetings on like the Tuesday and Wednesday that I was in the coffee shop. Um, because other than that, I was working on meetings for work. Yeah. I was working on a paper for my class, which I turned in, thank God. Um, and got my grade today. Um, and other than that, I'm just kind of like, well, it's, it's kind of like you, it's, it's kind of similar to how you feel after not driving for three years or not driving very much for three years. You're like, do I really remember how to do this? Do I really want to do this? You know, yeah. because as much as like, it, it's, it's a weird feeling. It's kind of like, I want to just dive into the shadow play and finish it so I can get it back to you and you can look at it and I can like, like, you know, get that like emotional validation that hit that hit of dopamine from you like seeing what I did just did with it. But at the same time, every time I open it up, like it seems like every time I open up the fucking Google Google document, I'm like, do I actually have to like put word together? I don't know if I have the bandwidth. <laughs> well, well, what? Because I know you got to ride off into the sunset here pretty soon. Mm -hmm. So how about this? Like, I already know, like. The sort of relationship dynamics that we had already talked about that we're going to put in shadow play with mm -hmm. janet and darius and 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 um i mean what you could do is just like review my rewrite like you're what chapter 15 out of 18 right now i think i'm in chapter 16 now yeah yeah that's like, chapter 15. that's like out of 18. Yeah, it should be out of 18, because I'm pretty sure I cut a chapter. There were 19, but I combined two of them. Okay. Yeah, don't worry about, like, making new chapters. Okay. I mean, if, 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 you're have, if you're not feeling the juice on this, because I think this is, like, your first book that you finished, like, six or seven years ago. And, like, or the first draft of a thing. So you're probably a little bit, like, uh, you're, you're having trouble finding a, a creative entry point is what i'm mm -hmm. doing right yeah just just finish reviewing what i did and thumbs up thumbs down add or subtract or whatever you know yeah. and i think what will help is after this week i'm pretty much done with the internship for the spring and yeah. after this week i'm pretty much done with the class for the spring so okay. after that's done I'll have a little window for a couple weeks between, you know, being done with the internship and done with class for the spring and then going to Maryland to do the internship in person. And I'm going to just buckle down. Because like okay. I said, I have, I have the like motive. It's not even necessarily a question of not having the motivation. I have the desire to, 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 to get it done and, and to make it beautiful. 
it's just I don't have the energy. I, I, think, I think it's just that I'm kind of like burnt out because I've just been working on two or three different things at a time for like the last three it. months. I get it. That that totally makes sense. I, I, I still fucking love Shadowplay, dude. Like, I, I hope I'm not, like, being a needy little bitch about it. No, you're I fine. Just, I, like I said, I want to get it to you if, if for no other reason than to like, to see, like, your reaction to yeah. the changes that I made and to, like, the ways that I interacted with your changes. But yeah. I just think, that, like I said, I think it's a burnout thing because I, like, I'll, it's it's kind of like, have you ever, have you ever had, like, like Netflix burnout? Where like you you open up Netflix and you're like I really want to watch a movie tonight and then you spend an hour like an one or two like an hour or two browsing through and you can't find anything that really like strikes your fancy until you finally just give up and go watch bullshit on YouTube. That happens to me all the time. And I don't think it's like a motivation thing. It's an energy thing. It's like yeah. do I have the emotional bandwidth to interact with these movies that I'm not a hundred percent engaged in? Well, I mean, too, like I get it, like. You've been kind of running, this is like we talked about the other day, you know, you've been running, you've been burning real hot lately, and you've been burning a lot of fires all at once, like, like, you're, you're making a fucking rocket ship, dude, and when you take off, we're all gonna be sitting here on the fucking earth, just watching, holy shit, look at that go, and so, but building a rocket, you're speaking to a guy who's built a rocket ship, right, so, like, you haven't built one yet, so you don't know the process. Like you, you don't understand just how fucking high you're gonna go, right? But like, I built a rocket ship, and I, you know, I and 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 then landed on this all other world called the middle class, which is lovely. And so, like, I'm like, oh, I see what he's doing. I did that too. It, holy shit, it's gonna be awesome. But you're tired from building the fucking ship. I get it. Like building the ship sucks. It's hard. I have a rocket ship. I can zoom around whenever I want. Uh, you know, I rode off. I found a pretty girl on her own rocket ship. We strapped our rocket ships together, got married, and rode off into the sunset. But no, man, you, you, uh, uh, you being burnt out makes sense. Um, I, I always, <laughs> I never want to like bug you or anything, you know. No, you're fine. I get it. <laughs> it's just I, 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 I have the most fun doing this with you. Um, so what's you just finished sixteen, right? I'm work. I've got a little bit left on sixteen because sixteen I think is pretty much a straightforward chapter. That's the one where they're like going into the facility, to like like raid the facility. Um, right. And I know you're. I, I think I think we talked about this in a previous, maybe the last episode of the podcast we did. Your idea was that we maybe cut all of the stuff aside from like, you know, Danit and Alyssa going into the facility and raiding it. Um, yeah. I sort of pushed back on that. So I thought having have some, a few external allies gives the story some, I don't think, support, I don't know if support is the right word, but it's kind of like how, I think the, the, the analogy I used was like when Harrison, was Harrison Ford's viewpoint on whether or not Rick Deckard is a replicant. You know, Harrison Ford has argued for years with Ridley Scott about whether Rick Deckard is a replicant. Because Ridley Scott says, oh, yeah, he's definitely a replicant. That's, that's, like, that's, that's the subtext of the story. That's obvious. But Harrison Ford has always maintained that if you don't have at least one human character that the audience can identify with, then, then the story doesn't make any sense. And that's kind of what I'm going with. It's like, you know, it, it's on the one hand, yeah, it makes for good, compelling storytelling in a way. But on the other hand, 
if it's just Janet and Alyssa and like a little voice in Janet's ear, basically, which is this AI that's getting this getting them from place to place, it seems a little too, at least to me, it's just, it seems too isolating. Um, mm-hmm. If they have some external allies, it, it allows us to divert to like diversify the story a little bit and give it some like. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's I don't. Know. I'm probably not making much sense. Um, it's the difference between black and white color. Yeah, it's oh, kind that. of like it's just having that like extra dimension of having some extra people, like having even a small group of people who are like willing sure. to help them, where instead of just like these three, like these two people and an AI that are alone against the entirety of Mars, they sure. have an external group of maybe a dozen or two dozen people who are like, yeah, we'll help you. Uh, what's in sure. it for us? We'll help you. Sure. I, I, I mean, you know me. I'm always looking for uh, 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 places to cut, and mm-hmm. um, I mean, I'm really looking forward to see how you, you come with it. It, it. That section, it looked like there was some, there was some room, you know, in the last draft I saw. So mm-hmm. uh, uh, it was kind of like you had a group, but none of them were really named. And there was like no real specific character building within that group there. So I'm looking at this group, but I don't really care about them because I'm not made to care about them. There's no names, there's no relationships. There's just like, I'm remembering someone says, oh, Janet, you sleep here and then we'll leave in the morning. And then they left for the morning and then the group died. And then we went into the tunnels or something, right? And so uh, I would love it if like people in that group were like with Janet in the space record, mm-hmm. right? People in that group were ex-cops. They're they're ex, you know, uh, Blade Runners, for lack of a better term. Yeah. You know, um, you know, maybe one of them was Darius's best friend. You know, maybe like one of the main fighter people was the best friend of her ex-husband. That's how she knows him. So there's an emotional connection there. You know, um, maybe it's Darius's brother because spoilers, we're going to write in that Darius and Jen had a miscarriage. And so the two, you know, they'll be there. They'll feel that absence of a baby there. Right. And so like the leader of the great, the gang that goes to, steal the microchip from the thing um or whoever a guy like he'll be the human interest entry point right and then um you know but then they also have like this other subtext of a relationship she has a reason to care about him you know he's forgiven her for like diving deep into the bottle but then like at the diners too you kind of show her relapsing into alcoholism, right? Which I fucking love. I don't love people relapsing into alcoholism. I love torturing protagonist characters in in, 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 uh, in fiction. And so, you know, like hell, I'm picturing the scene of she's there, and then she's got a little flask, and then he sees her, but he's always like blame the loss of the baby on her alcoholism it wasn't really that he's just looking for someone to blame for the loss of his nephew but 
you know, because if you're an alcoholic, it can cause a miscarriage. Like yeah. if you just booze too much. And maybe in the story, she quit drinking during the pregnancy, right? But, you know, the pain of a miscarriage ripples throughout a whole family. And the brother, who's the leader of this resistance movement or whatever, was looking for a reason, looking for someone to blame. Because the worst thing about a miscarriage is that you're always looking for someone, you know, it, it, it's, it, it, there's this loss, this tragedy, this thing was stolen from you. And it's just a fact of life. It's just a thing that happens, you know. If you outside of God, there's no one really to get mad at, right? Like, if, but a human response to such tragedy would be to find someone to blame, so you could say it's your fault. I'm going to hate you forever. And so maybe he's a member of the gang there, and then he goes, "Oh, you let Janet here? You know what she did, Bottom. You know, I'm I'm fucking I'm I'm spitballing here, right? You're fine. But these these ideas for me make me fucking engaged in this group here, if that makes sense. And then like we'll kill him because he's just his the, the whole purpose of his character, this character I just made up on the spot, is to just flesh out Janet to add more to her backstory, to give more, you know, pathos to her to to kind of shine a light on the chains that you know bind her you know the all of the she's like you know it's like in it's like in a christmas carol when fucking jacob marley has all those chains on him right you see a christmas carol oh of course dude i took a i took a film adaptation of literature courts we watched like five different versions of a christmas carol there you go when Jacob Marley has links in a chain that he drags around him through eternity, and those are his sins. It's so. What I love so much about Janet and this character you created is how she has all of this baggage behind her, right? There's this sad, broken creature that's trying to like struggle throughout the world. And if we're going to keep that, then fucking let's populate it with as many moments like that as we can if that makes sense what yep. are your thoughts on this fucking ramble i just threw at you i like i like it i uh, i think i can integrate that because basically what i could do is have sort of like you said like darius's brother maybe even a cousin yeah. um something like that who harbors some like ill feeling towards janet because of her part in their relationship breaking up and um all of that and I don't know exactly what I'm going to do with it, but I think I can, I think I can play around with that because you know I can sort of, you know, I, I've obviously got some rewriting left to do on these chapters that are left, and I might go ahead and make an extra chapters, you know, to have it done. Um, so yeah, there's stuff I can do, and I, I think your I think your idea really has merit because it adds, like you said, it adds emotional depth to the character, it adds pathos, it adds it adds dimension to the story as in, as in general. You know, um, and, and then it didn't have to be very, very in depth or very big. It has, you know, it's like a character, like she, she sees, like when she goes into this like hideout where they're like these hackers, like actors, like these like, you know, like these black market people, whatever they're supposed to be, or, or, or like hanging out, and she, and she's like, oh, and he's like, he's like Kharkov, and she's like, oh, Maroni, and uh, he's like, you still, 
you know, you still hitting the bottle? It's like, no, I gave that up. I said, yeah, I bet, or something like that. And they just have this little interaction, and it kind of like it, it alludes to bigger things that were not exactly shown, but that's the storytelling. It's the stuff that's alluded to that's not exactly shown. Yeah. You know, it's alluding to the, like, the pain in the past that we never get to quite see, but we have an inkling of. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And, and that would be good. And, and I'm so excited to to sort of make, you know, because Shadowplay will come out this year. Mm-hmm. And then I think the Over Goodbye will say next year at some point. Yep. And, and, you know, it's cool to have books in development again. That, that's one of my, fuck, I miss doing this. Like, there's a couple years I didn't, I didn't really do it too much. Um, you know, because like, I mean, I, 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 I had all the stuff to, to make a book and put it out and I had a network and people and team. I didn't really have a platform, you know, I didn't really have a way to get the word out. I didn't really, so I've been spending the last couple of years really just building Blanket Fortress of Solitude and trying to expand it in different ways and stuff, you know, like there's, there's a, a buddy of mine who he's a veteran and we like talking about uh, mental health stuff and he's had quite a few of his own demons to fight and he'll, he publicly talks about this so this isn't me telling stories at a school he's told this story on this very podcast before um, he got in an opioid addiction because about 10-15 years ago the army was handing out opioids like Vicodin and Percocets, the good stuff, the Sackler special, we used to call it. Um, like, oh, for everything. Like, they would just give you, they would just pump, pump soldiers full of fucking, like, you know, opioid drugs. And, you know, my friend, he had a massive systemic back injury. And so, you know, you know, it's really good when you're depressed and you feel like your life's falling apart. Coding, <laughs> you know, it. it uh, we had a saying that it takes away the pain and makes the hurt feel good, you know, and and he beat it. Like my dude beat fucking like like opioids on his own. He didn't he didn't go into rehab. He just fucking white knuckled it and just sweat the shit out for a few weeks or whatever. So. Uh, and, and I say all this to say that uh, I, for at least a little while, I think I'm going to start recording episodes with him and put them on the Patreon. And so, but it'll be kind of a different vibe than the one that you and I do. Yeah. You know, it'll, you know, because I mean, we talk about serious stuff, but, you know, me and him, we're not going to, you and I are more creative, you know, about the co working stuff and all that. And his is more. You know veterans and sadness and you know reasons you cry in the shower and all that and i'm sure you'll fucking make an appearance on those too I've, I've been making them free like these are on spotify because i mean i it's so inconsistent i don't want to be like it'll be every week and it's five dollars a month and i'm like now nah, i'm just gonna like you know populate it with free content for a while and see what happens um but yeah, I'm always looking for new partners to kind of expand and, and kind of like network with and build more stuff with. Um, 
kind of like I have with you. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, you being a member of the website, you being a member of the Facebook page, you being a member, uh, 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 a co-host of the podcast, means the whole fucking world. It really does. He's doing this shit by myself. I'm just like, well, what the fuck's the point? You know, but if you have someone to play with, then you're like, oh, okay, well, then we're building something. It's not just me screaming into the void about, like, you know, Luigi's hatch from Super Mario World or something. You know, I get someone to portray Luigi. <laughs> and you get uh, someone to bear with you on your fucking fuck, Mary kill the Muppets shit. Listen, I text everybody I know. And only one other person was like, no, two other people were like, I don't, I don't watch them off the top of my head. <laughs> Everyone was, so one guy, to almost a T, all of the men that I know were like, oh yeah, you fuck Miss Piggy. Like, she's into whips and chains, clearly. Like, that's a fun four-day weekend. But like, you're not going to want to marry that. Some, you know, Pete Barlow said marry Fozzie Bear. But I was like, yeah, I know he's a comedian and you're a comedian, but like, do you want to marry Fozzie Bear? Okay, let me ask you this. Do you want to financially support Fozzie Bear? Because that's what you're gonna, he's not a good comedian, right? Like he's not making money doing this. Everybody else said kill Kermit. Almost to a T, all of my other friends, like all my like veteran army buddies were like, yeah, you kill Kermit and you fuck Piggy's brains out, of course. <laughs> like, like what, are, what are we doing here, guys? So you want to talk about tonight's Stargate episode? Your thing, let's go for it. <laughs> you like that transition? <laughs> We've had weirder ones. We've had weirder ones. So, hold on, let me pull up my notes. Mm -hmm. You can still see me, right? Yep. You're sideways. Oh, there you are. Now you're not. Okay. So, this is season two, episode four, Gamekeeper. What were your thoughts on this? I, li I liked it. I've always liked this episode because it's, 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 it, and it's funny. I was talking to my dad about this. The guy who plays the Gamekeeper, uh, Dwight Schultz, is the guy who plays Reg Barkley. And you know he play he, he we he deal we deal with like um, the consequences of being immersed in a virtual world in both of his of his outings <laughs> you know, in Star Trek and in Stargate. And yeah. in Stargate, it's basically the question of you know if you could change the past, would you? But what if you actually couldn't change the past because every time you try and you know fix something, the goalposts move. So it's yeah. it's. It's, it's it's a combination of so many things. It's like Groundhog Day and Final Destination. Yeah. And um, what's what's one word? What's what's another one where they try and like go back in time and like fix some mistake in the past? You know, Avengers like, Endgame. What? Avengers Endgame. Yeah, I guess you could say that. <laughs> it's not exactly one I would call a classic, at least not yet. But I think I think it qualifies. I, I don't know, man. I, 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 mean, I don't, by, by saying it's not a classic, I don't mean that it's not a good movie. I just, I'm like a stickler. Like a movie that's only four years old cannot, by definition, be called a classic yet. That's true. That's true. It's like the Lord of the Rings movies, those are classics because they're 20 fucking years old now. But Avengers Endgame, you know, came out like the year before the pandemic. So we're, 
we haven't exactly graduated into classic status. I don't think that does feel like 25 years ago. Uh, maybe. No, I I like this one too. Um, I liked how they go into this other world and they get there, and it looks like a botanical garden at like a museum or something. Which it is, because I think I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure the place they filmed that outdoor sequence was like a botanical garden in British Columbia. Yeah, I mean, sure, and. Um, they're like, oh, what are these platforms? And then like little like wires come out and pull them to the platform. And then they wake up and they're in different spots. They're in a virtual, they're in a virtual reality simulation. Mm -hmm. And they get split up. You've got uh, Jack O'Neill and Teal'c on an old mission O'Neill was on in the eighties where they had to like kill a communist somewhere in Europe. And then Janet Jackson and Samantha Carter are in uh, Daniel Jackson's backstory the day his parents were crushed to death by a big cinder block. <laughs> like, a fucking, yeah. like a Wiley E. Coyote commercial. Like, guys, what are we doing? Like, we'll, we'll go into the, uh, uh, Daniel Jackson's things first because uh, Dwight Schultz uh, is, him as sort of like the ringmaster, the guy who runs the, the simulation uh, is like, oh, well, you can just try to, like, you know, save your parents, or maybe you won't. We'll see what happens. Like, he's trying to get content, like a fucking YouTube content creator, you know. YouTube. Really is. Like, he's like a, he's like a proto, he's like a proto influencer. Yeah. You he's know. like fucking Mr. Beast trying to, like, hey, let's see how we can torture Daniel Jackson and entertain the, the residents. Kind of, yeah. And to that, I say youtube.com slash Blanket Fortress Solitude. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but, and, you know, I'm looking at this and I'm like, okay, yeah, it makes sense. Like, you know, they, they're they trying to set up like looks like an exhibit with like different cinder blocks or like Egyptian. Yeah, like flagstones or something. Yeah. But then you've got like two college aged grown adults who have presumably been on airplanes and traveled the world as a crane is trying to lower a cinder block onto a, like a structure and to, to four pillars these two grown adults these college educated adults who have been in the world are standing underneath a cinder block as it's being lowered on top of four pillars like what are we doing guys like, yeah, it's a, that's that, you know that's a, that's a damn good point. Why the hell could they not oversee that construction project from under from not underneath the construction project? Like three feet to the left would have done it. Yeah, <laughs> like it wouldn't take it much. You know, I'm not saying Dana Jackson was better off with them being dead, <laughs> but do you really think he would have been traveling the the, the galaxy? killing aliens and banging hotties with those two as his parents come on like nah. they're not what you call winners because they died like wily e. coyote jesus and on, on jack o'neill's side of things it's him and till and kowalski's there 
Yeah. I so love Kowalski. He just kind of shows up. Do we? Do you want to look up and see how many times Kowalski's appeared? Oh, I could. Let's see here. Do you, do you have it or do you want me to? Uh, if you could, my computer's, you know, again, like I said, I have to like open it and then turn mm-hmm. the on button. Yeah, we know. It's like so, so horrible. Uh, and Kowalski and uh, a colonel show up and then Jack O'Neill and Teal and Kowalski and the colonel have to go like assault this house. But every time they do it, you know, Colonel dies, and so, but whenever the Colonel dies and they evacuate, it resets, and then the Colonel and Kowalski show up, and 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 the thing is, they realize, oh, there's no, this is a memory, it's not a time loop, like it kind of looks like at first, and then the gamekeeper Dwight Schultz says, oh, okay, well, you guys are free to go then, and then they get back to Earth to the Stargate and then uh, hold on can you still see me yeah I can see it okay yeah sorry they get back back to Earth through the Stargate and then uh, General Hammond's like hey you should go back and then plug yourself back in for like a week you know just to see how you like it they're still in the simulation the simulation continues and uh, and then they just kind of like annoy the gamekeeper until he lets them out basically and then all of the residents, they tell the residents that, hey, your planet is good now. It's no longer poison because a thousand years before, they put themselves in like a cryogenic, like suspension sort of VR game room to where they replay their greatest hits of their memories. And then now they can like go out into the botanical garden, create new ones. And do you have the Kowalski thing, sir? Yes, I do. It is he only shows up in one, two, three, four, three. He only shows up in six episodes of the entire series. He shows up in the original three episodes of season one, obviously the third of which he dies in. Um, then he shows up in the gamekeeper, and then he shows up in one episode in season three as an alternate reality duplicate, and one episode in season eight as an alternate reality duplicate. So he is very much a it's sort of, hey, I'm here randomly. How you doing? Just a consistent presence. But like like um like a name. I don't know. Like I get it. That's that's really cool. I wonder why they, they only I bet they regretted killing him. Yeah. I mean it happens which one of those things that happens a lot in Stargate and really in a lot of long running media where like someone will be killed off and then they decide, Oh, I didn't want to die. I didn't, I didn't want to leave the show, yeah. you know. One of the classic examples that I can think of is uh, Sasha Alexander in, in CIS. I don't know if you ever watched in CIS. She was I the original. The she was the original um, female agent in CIS, and they killed her off. I want to say in like season two or three, because the actress apparently wanted to move to Europe with her like husband or whatever and have babies. Well, that's like fair. a couple years later, she just a couple years later she realized, oh, I guess I don't really want to do that because like. Within like five years of her being killed off of NCIS, she's back in another like long-running role on some other procedural show. Sure. And obviously not in New York, you know, not obviously not in Europe having babies. So it's like, you know, sometimes people just regret leaving a show. It's like apparently, you know, obviously this is fuck. Anyone who's anyone who's you know who's who's following this probably knows enough about starting to know that Daniel Jackson dies and then comes back. Um 
dies many times and then comes back. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, he dies more times than fucking Superman does. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm, I'm looking up Kowalski stuff right now while you're sure. talking. No, you're fine. You go ahead. Um, but yeah, like Daniel, like Michael Shanks left the show because he thought, oh, well, I'm like this big actor now. I can go make my name doing other things. And then it turned out, oh, well, yeah. I'm kind of typecast now. So he ended up yeah. coming back as a guest star a couple times in season six when he was supposed to be dead. And they brought him back full time in season seven for like season seven to the end of the show, the end of the series. And he actually had a couple of guest roles in Stargate Atlantis and even in Stargate Universe. So it just goes to show sometimes you can't escape the thing that you thought you were going to escape. So I think with Jay Akavone, they probably had him planned that he was going to die from the start, but they wanted to bring him back as like a guest a couple of times because he's just a cool character. Is that the actor's name? Yeah, Jay Akavone. Oh, okay. It's from New York. Uh, New York State, that is. Akavone has over 100 credits to his name spanning four decades in film and television. Includes Search for Tomorrow, Beauty and the Beast, and Hollywood Beep. He can be seen playing the officer pulling over the TX in Terminator 3. Hey, that's cool. He also played the gate guard at Area 51 in um, Independence Day. Really? Like the guy, I don't know if it's in every version of the movie, because I, I know there's like different versions of Independence Day. There's like an extended version, but it, there's there's at least one version of that movie where um, Will Smith is like, pull, like pulls up to the gates at like Area 51 with all the people seeking asylum after the destruction of LA. <laughs> and um, he has the like the knocked out alien in the back of a pickup truck. And Jack Avone is the gate guard. He's like, hey, you can't come in here. And he's like, oh, you want to see my pass? And he takes the, the parachute off the dead alien, like knocked that alien and says, there's my pass. He's like, let him pass, let him pass. <laughs> That's funny. I yeah, he must have been one of those guys that they just liked, you know. Just a character actor, yeah. But um, going back to this episode, uh, this episode does one of those things that's like we were talking about earlier is one of my favorite things to do as a writer, and that's just torture your characters, um, because you know Daniel Jackson gets to see his parents, his stupid, stupid parents get crushed over and over again like the dummies they are at a certain point you kind of want to like paint a big like i don't know like a tunnel on the side of the wall be like just go through that road runner while the coyotes on the other fucking side <laughs> and and then janet or jack o'neill his colonel like keeps getting shots and dies but i noticed something and they kept reusing footage, like the same footage of the parents dying and the colonel like bleeding out and asking him Jack to take care of his wife or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they're like, it was the same group of like five Eastern European dudes that would pop up out of the bushes. I'm like, oh, okay. You guys just kind of like reuse like th this whole episode was just like three to four minutes of reused footage. That's kind of cool. Got to find ways to save money. Yeah. Yeah. That's. That's the thing I liked about, I think we were talking about this before with Stargate, where, you know, they're like, they, they, they know how to save a buck or two. Yeah, they, they, I mean, that's that's one thing you can say about a lot of, like, especially older sci-fi shows. It's become a thing in, like, modern 
And I say modern, like knowing full well that I only mean like the last 10 years and as if that's like a difference, like that, that big a difference, but it really is because you know, you, you get shows like The Expanse or like yeah. Game of Thrones, which is obviously fantasy, but it's still sort of in the same vein. They, they, they group fantasy and sci-fi together for whatever reason, but you get shows like this that um, attract such huge budgets right from the get-go because people know now, oh, these things actually make money. We can we can afford to sink money into them because we'll get it back. Um, yeah. Back in the late 90s and in 90s in general and 80s, whatever, sci-fi shows should not start out with big budgets. They had small budgets and they had to make them stretch. And then if they lasted long enough, then they would get big budgets because they became a sure thing. You know, you yeah. look at the, I think that's what we talked about before. You look at the later seasons of Stargate, where they have the budget to like have these really cool, rent, like, intricately rendered like space battles and ships flying all over the place. You look at Stargate Atlantis and all the stuff they can do in Stargate Atlantis. That's only because Stargate Atlantis ran where Stargate SG-1 walked. And yeah. really then, even, even then, Stargate SG-1 walked or ran or walked because the first couple seasons crawled. Yeah. Yeah, some of them, some of them managed to make small budgets really work. Some of them, some of them managed to waste big budgets. Some of them just sort of find their own. I I remember. So go back to the episode. Sorry, I had a brain fart. For okay, a you're fine. Speaking of Dwight Schultz, um, when I was in Texas, uh, playing, I learned how to play Dungeons and Dragons for the first time, and I'm watch, I'm doing it, and I'm like, oh, I don't hate this. Right, which sounds like damning it with faint praise, but it's not. Because it's okay, this is gonna sound pretentious, but if I'm gonna invest a lot of creative energy into a creative thing and not monetize it, like you know, not put it out in one of my many channels, this god, this sounds so fucking pretentious. But I it it's it took me a long time to see the value in that. Right. I'm like, oh, well, why would I put all this effort into creating a character and then, like, not put it on a blog? Like, that doesn't make any sense. But, um, and then I was playing it and I'm like, oh, I get it. I get why people play D&D. It's not, I'm not 100% sure it's my thing. But we, uh, they're trying to, the, the dungeon master said to find a character, sci-fi, that you think is most like you. And then we realized uh, in Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, I'm Reginald Barkley. And I'm like, you know, it's not wrong because I was kind of involved in a couple of really cool things. Like, but I was a real periphery side character. You know, going to Iraq was kind of like being a real side character. Like I was there. But I was like a background extra, you know? And I got to be, I got to have kind of a couple cool days once in a while, you know, like it's like once a year, I got to save a life once or twice a year or something like that in the National Guard. That was pretty cool. But like, you know, uh, Reginald Barkley's nervous. He's anxious all the fucking time. <laughs> and with good reason, because he got turned into a fucking spider on the Enterprise. Of course he's an emotional mess. He was turned into a giant tarantula. 
why wouldn't you? What's wrong with the bridge crew? How are those sociopaths not gibbering, sobbing, uncontrollable messes? Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> with all of the shit, they just let Picard command again, right? He got turned into a Borg, and then he led an assault fleet that killed 11,000 Starfleet officers and just genocided whole worlds. And they're like, yeah, you go back in there. Here's the keys. The flagship's yours again. No! <laughs> Absolutely not! What? That psychopath, he's gonna... Oh, man. Oh, man. He's one stub toe away from just hitting the self-destruct button and blowing up the ship and laughing as the flames take it all. You know? <laughs> I've never thought about it that way, but you make a good point. Right? Like, you get it. And, and, you got a whole generation of Starfleet officers that were like, oh, our number one shining hero guy got kidnapped by the enemy, converted by the enemy, and then led in a battle fleet from the enemy that killed all of my friends. All of my friends. And then all of a sudden, bam, old Johnny P's back in charge in, in the fucking like captain's chair and then like I got I had a I, I had a Facebook reel about a, a Starfleet veteran I, I was just character I was like the, the idea was I'm a Starfleet veteran and I think the line I said is and this guy goes from being like cute as a Borg and killing all my friends on the ship to now he's Captain Dolly Picard again giving me an article 15 for failing height and weight <laughs> like but I was in the army long enough to know that's a thousand percent what would happen. Like, if Jim Mattis got converted by the Borg during the global war on terror, and instead of being a Marine Corps general, decided to just genocide like Belgium, right? And just wipe Belgium off the map. And then all of a sudden he's better. They're like, okay, Jim, you can be in charge of the first Marine Expeditionary Unit. And everyone's going to be like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Jim has to, like, you know, uphold standards of, like, height and weight and haircut. And, oh, his fingernails are too long. And then everyone will be like, well, go fuck yourself, Jim. My dad was in Antwerp. <laughs> like, you can go eat a dick. You know? <laughs> oh, sorry. I got some feelings about Star Trek. <laughs> Don't we all? Anyway, what are we talking about? Stargate, right? Like, how do yeah, I get on the there? other star show? <laughs> I mean, they're kind of interchangeable. No, I know it's because I would have been Reginald Barkley. I, and and uh, you've seen that you've seen the meme where it's like, um, it's like where it's comparing Star Trek and Stargate, and it shows like John Luke Picard and and Riker on the bridge of the Enterprise, and they're saying the Prime Directive says we should never interfere in the lives of those uh, on on planets less advanced than our own. And then it shows like the SG-1 team. They're like, hey, we just met you. Here's some weapons to kill your own gods. <laughs> Basically. Like I said, the, the best thing I think this episode has going for it, aside from a, a great turn by Dwight Schultz and, and a nice cameo by J.A. Cavone as, 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 as Charles Kowalski, 
is that it really is a combination of a lot of different like sci-fi tropes and it's kind of like what we've talked about before they take these tropes and they sort of mix them together and they sort of mix and match them in a way that makes something new that subverts some tropes and refreshes some tropes it doesn't just make something stale it takes it takes the notion of if you could change you know it's the notion of if you could change the past would you you know, can you really actually change the past? What would it be like to have a virtual environment? Takes all these things and plays with them. Just, that's really what good sci-fi does. Is what good sci-fi of the week does. I, and it's funny in this rewatch, I'm realizing how much of my own, um, you know, like I said, I, I, I wrote and published, I don't know, eight or nine novellas. Uh, that was the foundation of Divided by Zero Books. And one of them was called The Forever Sleep. Yep. Where people put themselves in a big stasis tube and you've got like a couple hundred guys that are living forever in clone bodies that are watching the, 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 the people. And those people live in simulated realities. And as we're watching Stargate, I'm like, oh, oh, this is where I got most of my ideas from. And my sense of like morality, I think. Mm-hmm. You know. Yep. I'm the same way. Yeah. Stargate was one of the first, like, real shows I watched. You know, I started watching Stargate probably in, like, 2000 or 2001 when I would have been, like, six or seven, you know. Yeah. And I watched I watched, watched it with my dad. And, um, you know, before that, I've been watching cartoons. So I started yeah. watching stuff like Stargate and Hunt for Red October. And then I watched Alien and Predator and all that stuff. That's pretty much, like, the basis of my sci-fi, like, self. Yeah. Well, okay, sir. I think we can end there, and then we'll talk a little bit afterward, of course. Yep. Uh, for the Blanket Fortress Solitude, I am Derwin. And I am Nick. And we will see you next Monday morning at 07. Bye.